Life is complex. Join us for the simple gifts of wisdom, love, and delight in the written word. Evangeline by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow Prelude This is the forest primeval, the murmuring pines and the hemlocks, bearded with moss and in garments green indistinct in the twilight, stand like druids of eld with voices sad and prophetic, stand like harpers hoar with beards that rest on their bosoms. Loud from its rocky caverns the deep-voiced neighboring ocean speaks, and in accents disconsolate answers the wail of the forest. This is the forest primeval, but where are the hearts that beneath it leaped like the roe when he hears in the woodland the voice of the huntsman? Where is the thatched-roofed village, the home of Acadian farmers, men whose lives glided on like rivers that water the woodlands? darkened by shadows of earth, but reflecting an image of heaven. Waste are those pleasant farms, and the farmers forever departed, scattered like dust and leaves, when the mighty blasts of October seize them and whirl them aloft and sprinkle them far o'er the ocean. Naught but tradition remains of the beautiful village of Grand Pré. Ye who believe in affection that hopes and endures and is patient, Ye who believe in the beauty and strength of woman's devotion, list to the mournful tradition still sung by the pines of the forest. List to a tale of love in Acadie, home of the happy. Book One, Part One In the Acadian land, on the shores of the basin of Minas, distant, secluded, still, the little village of Grand Pré lay in the fruitful valley. Vast meadows stretched to the eastward, giving the village its name, and pasture to flocks without number. Dikes, that the hands of the farmers had raised with labor incessant, shut out the turbulent tides. But at stated season the floodgates opened and welcomed the sea to wander at will o'er the meadows. West and south there were fields of flax, and orchards and cornfields spreading afar and unfenced o'er the plain and away to the northward, Blomidon rose, and the forests old, and aloft on the mountains sea-fogs pitched their tents, and mists from the mighty Atlantic looked on the happy valley, but ne'er from their station descended. There in the midst of its farms reposed the Acadian village. Strongly built were the houses, with frames of oak and of chestnut, such as the peasants of Normandy built in the reign of the Henrys. Thatched were the roofs, with dormer windows and gables projecting, over the basement below, protected and shaded the doorway. There, in the tranquil evenings of summer, when brightly the sunset lighted the village street and gilded the veins on the chimneys, matrons and maidens sat in snow-white caps and in kirtles, scarlet and blue and green, with distaffs spinning the golden flax for the gossiping looms whose noisy shuttles within doors mingled their sound with the whir of the wheels and the songs of the maidens. Solemnly down the street came the parish priest, and the children paused in their play to kiss the hand he extended to bless them. Reverend walked he among them, and up rose matrons and maidens, hailing his slow approach with words of affectionate welcome. 
Then came the laborers home from the field, and serenely the sun sank down to his rest, and twilight prevailed. Anon from the belfry, softly the angelus sounded, and over the roofs of the village, columns of pale blue smoke, like clouds of incense ascending, rose from a hundred hearths, the homes of peace and contentment. Thus dwelt together in love these simple Acadian farmers. Dwelt in the love of God and of man, alike were they free from fear, that reigns with the tyrant, and envy the vice of republics. Neither locks had they to their doors, nor bars to their windows, but their dwellings were open as day, and the hearts of the owners. There the richest were poor, and the poorest lived in abundance. Somewhat apart from the village, and nearer the basin of Minas, Benedict Bellefontaine, the wealthiest farmer of Grand Pre, dwelt on his goodly acres, and with him directing his household, gentle Evangeline lived, his child, and the pride of the village. Stalworth and stately in form was the man of seventy winters. Hearty and hale was he, an oak that is covered with snowflakes. White as the snow were his locks, and his cheeks as brown as the oak leaves. Fair was she to behold, that maiden of seventeen summers. Black were her eyes as the berry that grows on the thorn by the wayside. Black, yet how softly they gleamed beneath the brown shade of her tresses. Sweet was her breath, as the breath of kine that feed in the meadows. When in the harvest heat she bore to the reapers at noontide flagons of home-brewed ale, ah, fair in sooth was the maiden. Fairer was she when, on Sunday morn, while the bell from its turret sprinkled with holy sounds the air, as the priest with his hyssop sprinkles the congregation and scatters blessings upon them. Down the long street she passed, with her chaplet of beads and her missal, wearing her Norman cap and her kirtle of blue and the earrings, brought in the olden time from France, and since, as an heirloom, handed down from mother to child through long generations. But a celestial brightness, a more ethereal beauty, shone on her face and encircled her form, when, after confession, homeward serenely she walked with God's benediction upon her. When she had passed, it seemed like the ceasing of exquisite music. Firmly builded with rafters of oak, the house of the farmer stood on the side of a hill commanding the sea and a shady sycamore grew by the door, with a woodbine wreathing around it. Rudely carved was the porch, with seats beneath and a footpath, led through an orchard wide, and disappeared in the meadow. Under the sycamore tree were hives overhung by a penthouse, such as the traveller sees in regions remote by the roadside, built or a box for the poor, or the blessed image of Mary. Farther down on the slope of the hill, was the well with its moss-grown bucket, fastened with iron, and near it a trough for the horses. Shielding the house from storms on the north were the barns and the farmyard. There stood the broad-wheeled wains and the antique ploughs and the harrows. There were the folds for the sheep, and there, in his feathered seraglio, strutted the lordly turkey, and crowed the cock, with the self-same voice that in ages of old had startled the penitent Peter. Bursting with hay were the barns, themselves a village. In each one, far o'er the gable projected a roof of thatch, 
and a staircase under the sheltering eaves led up to the odorous corn loft. There, too, the dovecot stood, with its meek and innocent inmates, murmuring ever of love, while above in the variant breezes, numberless noisy weathercocks rattled and sang of mutation. Thus, at peace with God and the world, the farmer of Grand Pre lived on his sunny farm, and Evangeline governed his household. Many a youth, as he knelt in the church and opened his missal, fixed his eyes upon her as the saint of his deepest devotion. Happy was he who might touch her hand or the hem of her garment. Many a suitor came to her door, by the darkness befriended, and as he knocked and waited to hear the sound of her footsteps, knew not which beat the louder, his heart or the knocker of iron. Or at the joyous feast of the patron saint of the village, bolder grew, and pressed her hand in the dance as he whispered hurried words of love that seemed a part of the music. But, among all who came, young Gabriel only was welcome. Gabriel La Junesse, the son of Basil the blacksmith, who was a mighty man in the village and honored of all men. For since the birth of time, throughout all ages and nations, has the craft of the smith been held in repute by the people. Basil was Benedict's friend. Their children from earliest childhood grew up together as brother and sister, and Father Felician, priest and pedagogue both in the village, had taught them their letters out of the selfsame book with the hymns of the church and the plain song. But when the hymn was sung and the daily lesson completed, swiftly they hurried away to the forge of Basil the blacksmith. There at the door they stood, with wondering eyes to behold him, take in his leathern lap the hoof of the horse as a plaything, nailing the shoe in its place, while near him the tire of the cartwheel lay like a fiery snake, coiled round in a circle of cinders. Oft on autumnal eaves, when without in the gathering darkness, bursting with light seemed the smithy, through every cranny and crevice, warmed by the forge within they watched the laboring bellows, and as its panting ceased, and the sparks expired in the ashes, merrily laughed, and said they were nuns going into the chapel. Oft on sledges in winter, as swift as the swoop of the eagle, down the hillside bounding they glided away o'er the meadow. Oft in the barns they climbed to the populous nests on the rafters, seeking with eager eyes that wondrous stone, which the swallow brings from the shore of the sea to restore the sight of its fledglings. Lucky was he who found that stone in the nest of the swallow. Thus passed a few swift years, and they no longer were children. He was a valiant youth, and his face, like the face of the morning, gladdened the earth with its light and ripened through into action. She was a woman now, with the heart and hopes of a woman. Sunshine of St. Eulalie was she called for that was the sunshine which, as the farmers believed, would load their orchards with apples. She, too, would bring to her husband's house delight and abundance, filling it full of love and the ruddy faces of children. Tis the gift to be simple. Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, will be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we will not be ashamed. To turn, turn, 
will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right.